from the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. The phone number to be on, 1-866-408-7669. If you want to see us, uh, just go to uh, Fox Nation. You can get, see the stream. And, of course, get the podcast on BrianKilmeadeShow.com if you ever can't listen to us live or if that's better for you, whatever works. Uh, we have a lot going on. Of course, we're covering and, and being I'm stunned at what's going on in Maui. You see the devastation. And you know what's astounding? The one thing about presidents, executing with FEMA and all the emergency services is tough. You, you, we're getting better and better at it. But showing empathy is easy. And the president of the United States has done nothing about that. I mean, he's expressed nothing. Well, he's coordinated. He talked to senators. Really? You've talked to senators? You're on vacation? You said no comment when asked about death and destruction? Is it safe to say you're against it? Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California has all of these laws that have essentially legalized criminal activity, lowering the threshold for uh, felony uh, theft to $950. Uh, But then San Francisco has taken it a step further by having these progressive prosecutors. Uh, There you go. Uh, Out of control, smash and grab, lack of punishment. California, like so many other major cities, falling apart, and it's all self-inflicted. What about the illegal immigrants overrunning all these cities, all self-inflicted? The urban areas out of control, Democratic-driven Joe Biden's policies, some are rising up. Number two. David Weiss, the U.S. attorney, was in charge of this. This is now the person who is the special counsel who blew past the statutes of limitations. And yet now we have David Weiss in charge of this moving forward. Uh, that, of course, uh, the great Katie, uh, Katie Pavlich. More confirmation of a sham investigation. As an FBI agent backs up whistleblowers and saying that Hunter got special treatment. Will anything change now that David Weiss's title has changed? Don't think so. Number one, the indictment alleges the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. What an embarrassment she is. Uh, Fannie Willis, a premature number four in a late night bizarre presser. Georgia D.A. Fannie Willis seem rushed to get Trump and 19 others to trial. Meanwhile, the exact indictments leaked out before the grand jury allegedly hurl all those witnesses. What does that tell you? What does it all mean for Trump? And since when do you wait two and a half years and then keep us on hold to 1030 at night to call a presser, take a couple of questions and go? If you were in such a rush, why do you wait two and a half years? If you're in such a rush, why did you have to get it in last night? Why, if you're in such a rush, why did you tell witnesses to report on Tuesday and then quickly tell them to report on Monday and then just go ahead and close the case without him? Here she is. Cut one. Specifically, the participants in association took various actions in Georgia and elsewhere to block the counting of the votes of the presidential electors who were certified as the winners of Georgia's 2020 general election. As you examine the indictment, you will see acts that are identified as overt acts and those that are identified as predicate acts, sometimes called acts of racketeering activity. We'll see. That's what she's charging her and 19 others from Rudy Giuliani to Mark Meadows. 
You'll recognize names, Sidney Powell, all those that are in there, some that have not been named yet. And the goal, according to the experts, is to get some of them to flip. I don't know that there's a flip. I think everything's pretty transparent. Uh, the president said, I won Georgia. He believes the vote counting was flawed. They redid it. He challenged it. And he wasn't going to quit. Now, whether he should or not, go ahead, litigate it. But two and a half years later, to time it perfect with the primary season is uh, is suspect. How about the three other indictments, two of which from Jack Smith, many of which overlap with some of her, what she's talking about. She actually reaches to other states, as does Jack Smith. And she also did not deny that she coordinated with Jack Smith. All she had to say is, no, I have not been in contact. But she would not say that. So the question was to Fannie Willis, uh, what about uh, what about the fact that at about, I would say, 430 Reuters reported that this indictment was done, even though all the witnesses have not been heard. Brian Yenist asked about it, and she said, well, that was a clerical error. I don't know anything about clerical stuff. Really? The endorse, the exact indictment was almost virtually the same as the one was released and reported by Reuters. You really expect us to believe that? So, look, I you've heard me talk about January 6th. You've heard me talk about the way the president acted after. But do I think it's worth the four indictments? Now this is a state level. And as Chris Christie is just saying now, these prosecutors obviously have huge egos. I thought athletes had egos when I was in covering sports forever. This is totally out of control. And that's exactly what Hillary Clinton, excuse me, what Ted Cruz said. Cut 13. The timing is nakedly political. Every time more bad news comes out about Hunter Biden or Joe Biden, you can set a stopwatch within hours. Some clown goes and indicts Donald Trump again. And then all of the all of the little lemmings in the media go run and say, Trump, 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 Trump. Look, last week. The House Oversight Committee released bank records that showed that Joe Biden's family and associates received over $20 million from foreign sources while Joe Biden was vice president. So just when he's in office, over $20 million. Let me ask you, is there anything on earth, Sean, that Hunter Biden could do for you that would be worth $20 million? No. Anybody to do that, period. Uh, That's really what we're looking at with the Devin Archer testimony, with what we know about the Hunter Biden tapes, the laptop, the the, uh, revelations from the whistleblowers. They wanted to look into it, and we can't. It's just amazing because oftentimes when things happen on one side, Democrat or Republican, you have to reach back and say, this reminds me of Nixon. This reminds me of Clinton. In real time, we're watching the dichotomy, the different approaches to both men and both parties, Democrat and Republican. One, the media is going out of their way not to look into, even though it's almost impossible to to, to not rubberneck. And the other is indictment after indictment after indictment. Now we're up to, get this, 34 counts of criminal indictment. Uh, That'll be March 25th. That'll be uh, 34 counts will be Alvin Bragg in New York. You got 40 counts of classified documents. That's with Jack Smith. Uh, That should be in Florida. And then you have federal indictment for the January 6th case should be in Washington, D.C. That's four separate counts. And then what we have now is uh, the Georgia situation where there's uh, the president's facing 13 counts, including violating the Georgia RICO Act, which allows him to go out of state and then try everybody at one time. Uh, The president, 18 others. Can you imagine this in court at one time? And how about the fact that he will not be campaigning during that period? You can't say that doesn't affect the election. Know what it also does? It takes Joe Biden, who's a mess, can't make a speech or do an interview, and doesn't either way, doesn't even fundraise these days, 
goes on vacation, doesn't even comment about a devastating wildfire, the worst in 100 years. They literally wiped out an island, a Democratic island. Can I just add that? So for Trump, with each indictment, believe it or not, he get, for now, he gets stronger. Listen to Lee Carter, who works for Manslansky Partners. She's the president. Cut 20. It's going to be hard for anybody to hear anything beyond that to say or trust anything that they have to say because they're going to look at this and say Mm -hmm. it was predetermined. The legal system is rigged. And that's what people already believe. And it's going to be really hard to shake that. Um, And so many people are out to criticize the why Republicans believe the way that they do. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really, really important that people do understand that this is where we are as a country. We do not trust our government. We do not trust the systems of government that are meant to keep us safe. We don't trust the Department of Justice. And in particular, Republicans are really ready to fight back. Mm. 70% of Republicans say they want someone in a leadership position who is going to fight to take this country back from the ruling class elite. And that's what he's doing. We'll see if it begins to wear them out as these court cases blend into the other. When you're Tim Scott, if you're Nikki Haley, if you're on the ground as Ron DeSantis is in all the counties in Iowa, if you're uh, Chris Christie and others, can't get your message out. First five questions anywhere you go are about Trump. And if you're not against Trump, like Vivek Ramaswamy, you praise him. And if you're not against him, we just think you'd be better. Ron DeSantis tends to be going with that message, although Trump is attacking him. Tim Scott's that message. He's like, yeah, no, I'm better. I'm, I'm a younger guy. But I like Trump. He was a really good president. I work well with him. Vivek, Ram, Vivek Ramaswamy says, oh, he'd be my key advisor. He's very polarizing. It's going to be hard for me to get elected. I'll be easier to get elected. I'll win in a landslide. And I want to be a lot like him. I'll have him in as one of my advisors. That's probably, whether you believe it or not, and whether you love Trump or not, the best way to run against him. Because to actually, and he's going to be our guest today, he's a good friend of the show, Will Hurd, to say everything Trump does is wrong and I won't vote for anyone, uh, any Republican, if he gets the nomination, I, I don't think you're going to be, that's not the way to be successful in this, in this atmosphere right now. Uh, that's where the public opinion is. So 71%, um, 71% of Republicans support Trump in these uh, and look at this as pure politics. 71%. 41% uh, uh, think this whole thing is politically motivated. And that's down from 50%. Uh, no, excuse me. 41% said Trump did nothing wrong. That's down from 50%. You could look at some of these cases and say, well, I don't love the way Trump acted. I wish he didn't take the documents. You know, why are you calling up uh, Georgia? Do the best you can with the Republican governor. Let the Republican governor know how you feel and the counties that problematic and just back out. That That's fine. But should it, revol- should it result in four separate indictments? one 408 I mean, prison is real now. It's amazing that we're talking about this. Uh, don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I don't know that anybody should be satisfied. This this is uh, a terrible moment for our country to have uh, a former president accused of these uh, terribly uh, important crimes. The only satisfaction may be that the system is working. 
mm. uh, that all of the efforts by Donald Trump, his allies and his enablers to try to silence uh, the truth, to try to undermine uh, democracy, uh, have been brought into uh, the light and justice is being pursued. Is she oblivious to an idiot she sounds like? She's the one with the bleach bit that wiped out her uh, wiped out her hardware. She's the one who smashed her iPhone. She's the one who had a te- her, tech, uh, her tech worker ignore a subpoena. She's the one that unleashed and paid for the dossier and the whole Russia hoax. And she says the system worked. The system didn't work because you had never paid the price. For your insidious ways, Lieutenant Colonel Alan West joins us now. He's the executive director of the American Constitutional Rights Union. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. It's good to be back with you, Brian. So last night around 10, 30, 11 o'clock Eastern time, we saw your state of Georgia decide that they had to bring charges and indict the former president of the United States. Do you think they did what they had to do? No, I don't think that they did what they had to do. If they did what they had to do, it should have been done two and a half years ago. And when you listen to what Hillary Clinton uh, was just articulating, she clearly lets people know that there's an unequal application of justice and the law in the United States of America. So what Georgia has done, what that district uh, attorney has done there, it really, when you read the charges and you see how they're trying to bring RICO into this, it's an incredible overreach. And, and I think that when you look at all of these indictments, I don't believe that these prosecutors believe that they're going to get any guilty uh, pleas, but what they want to do is just to tie up Donald Trump and to weigh him down and make him less and less effective. And also what they want to do is create a distraction away from really the failures and the corruption of Joe Biden. And I just wish that the Republicans would realize that they have plenty on Joe Biden to pursue, as Greg Stubbe is doing, these articles of impeachment. On him. I, I made it clear to my audience, and I've, you said in the past, I don't love the way Trump acted after the election. I don't. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know we felt sincerely what he was doing. He wasn't. Uh, and people that say he didn't think he won don't understand it and weren't around him. He thinks he won. But it's like wanting to win the Super Bowl, but locking the quarterback in their apartment in order to win and keeping them from showing up at the game. That's not the way I want to win. If I was a Democrat and Julian Epstein, of all people, a Democrat in every sense of the word, said this last night, cut 12. I think, you know, Democrats are sort of celebrating, saying, you know, this sort of this is a done deal. You heard what you quoted, what Hakeem Jeffries said. This is Mm -hmm. part of criminal activity. This is part of the ongoing criminal activity. I think that's a big mistake for Democrats because it just makes the Democratic Party look very political. It reinforces the argument that this is that, that Trump has made, that this is all a witch hunt. And that's it. People are saying, wow, four. Yeah. And I understand that Donald Trump told our reporter last night that four is better than one. It just shows people exactly what I'm talking about. This is all politics. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's overreach and it's piling on. And we have gotten to the point where it's become quite insidious. And once again, when you think about, you're right, I mean, the things that were done after the election, uh, quite perplexing. But when you look at 2004, the uh, reaction from the Democrats, you look at 2008, reaction from the Democrats, you look at 2016, reaction from the Democrats, uh, they could be guilty of the exact same things that uh, a lot of people are saying that Donald Trump is guilty of. So this, again, the unequal application of law and justice in America is quite evident, and it is very disturbing. And when you hear someone like Corrine Jean-Pierre, the uh, White House spokesperson, saying that, uh, show us video 
of, uh, you know, President Biden doing something wrong. We don't need to show you video. Uh, there are many people that have come out and their stories have been collaborated, corroborated as far as what he has said and what he has done. Uh, the shell companies out there, the money that is transferred, the uh, kickbacks that have gone to some Russian oligarchs. So people in America start to say, you know, this is not right. This is not how we should be running our constitutional republic. And really, and truthfully, this is the greatest undermining of our democratic process and representative democracy. One of the worst things, it does not get reported enough, and I know it bothers you every day, and that's the way we left Afghanistan two years to the day today. Yeah. Your thoughts, Colonel West? Well, once again, uh, you know, who has been held accountable for that? When you looked at that hearing of those families uh, that lost their, their 13 loved ones, 11 Marines, one sailor, one soldier, and to hear how they've been disregarded and dismissed, how they've been lied to, but no one's been held accountable. The fact that we had an Afghan family that lost their lives in a drone strike, uh, but yet no one's been accountable. Because the guy was putting uh, water into his trunk and they told us we got a terrorist. And it turns out we yes. just got a guy that had been helping us out in the past and killed him in front of his family. Absolutely. And and what are the ramifications and consequences for that? And to have Joe Biden talk about how great a success, success it was. And the other thing that people are talking about, Brian, is not just the 13 who lost their lives at Harman Karzai International Airport. There have been seven other Marines that have committed suicide yep. that were involved in that day. So, uh, again, where's the responsibility? Where's the accountability for that? And I think that's the shame. And we have seen a degradation of our military readiness, our foreign policy, and our national security since that event where we left what 80 something billion dollars worth of equipment to the taliban who are reselling it uh to our enemies uh and are now a yes. terrorist haven and women are back in the dark uh in the dark ages so it doesn't diminish what you guys did uh, as contractors and as uniform you did the best you could and the leadership in many in so many ways let you down but anybody that worked with you or fought against you guys uh knew you're the best in the world I hope people realize that. Colonel Allen West, thank you. Thank you, Brian. You got it. Hey, when we come back, Carly Shimkus joins us. We're going to expand on some of the challenges for Trump. But there was also developments on the Hunter side. Don't move. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Jack Smith and Fannie Willis waited 30 months to bring these bogus charges against President Trump, but now they both want to rush to try President Trump when these are complicated factual cases. They're easy legal cases. These are non-crimes, but complicated factual cases with a lot of witnesses across a lot of different states. They want to rush to try President Trump within the next six to eight months. That just happens to be during the presidential election. This is obvious election interference by Democrat prosecutors to take out President Trump before the 2024 presidential election. So that is Mike Davis. He's Article 3 Project. He was asked to do some instant analysis when stunningly, in my view anyway, last night around 1030 Eastern time, Carly Shimkus was asleep getting ready for Fox and Friends first. <laughs> Who would think you'd miss an indictment, Carly? I didn't believe it when I woke up right. this morning. I mean, I was, I was like, that banner on Sean Hannity's show must be wrong. Right, we because we watch the repeat, mm -hmm. you know, in the morning when you get in, uh, and I get in, we'll watch repeats, but today it was Trace Gallagher, because yeah. Trace took over and his, his show went deep into he the night. He does a great job. 
Right. Uh, and around 4.30, Reuters reported the same thing. The indictment was posted. They snapshotted it. Then they said, that's not true. I don't know how clerks work. Well, it was the same indictment. <laughs> and you hadn't heard all your witnesses yet, but you finished the report. Yeah. Well, so I think that this uh, the day did not go well for Fonnie Willis, uh, the DA in Fulton County, because she wanted her moment. And I'm sure she wanted it in prime time or earlier in the day than 11 o'clock. Or today. Uh, yeah. But what happened apparently is that this it was a clerical error of some sort. And the indictment before the grand jury even took their vote was released online. And then there was a statement that was released actually excoriating the media because Reuters reported it. And they were saying that uh, that the, the media shouldn't report some of these false documents. It turned out not to be a on false their document. website. It was on their website. Reuters was actually doing their job. So then they had to rush all of these witnesses in so that they could make statements before the grand jury actually voted. And like you said, Brian, it ended up being an identical indictment that came down. And then at around 11 o'clock at night is when that press conference with the DA happened. That's not how they wanted any of this to go. But I do think that now it does give ammunition for Trump to say this is completely politically motivated because she had her he just had Helena Abba, Abba on Fox and Friends, and she was talking about how Fonnie Willis has been campaigning off of this, and she just updated her website, and she was taking headshots all in preparation for this big moment uh, to get Trump, as she says. Here she is last night taking the question from her own Brian, uh, Brian Yenis. Cut five. No, I can't tell you anything about um, what you refer to. What I can tell you is that we had a grand jury here in Fulton County. They deliberated till almost 8 o'clock, if not right after 8 o'clock. An indictment was returned. It was true build, and you now have an indictment. Um, I am not an expert on clerks' duties um, or even administrative duties. I wouldn't know how to work that system, and so I'm not going to speculate. Well, you should speculate because it's your indictment that was posted early, which is not much different than final. Uh, final. And the thing is, too, I'm new to this grand jury process. I've never been on one, nor did I preside over one. Yeah. But you usually wait till it's done. Well, right. To tell me what happened. Yeah. So you don't have to tell me ahead of time what happened. Yeah. So I also think it's every whenever we're all getting like a really big lesson in legal theories as well, whether you like it or not. So now we're left Googling. What is racketeering as it relates to the Georgia election? I mean, I didn't I don't know. Right. How how would anybody know that? And even in the uh, there's a line in indictment. I, I wonder if I could find it in my notes. Yeah. Where she says, by the way, 19 defendants, Trump being one, 41 counts all in and all of them are being charged with racketeering. And in this indictment, Willis says that the defendants and co-conspirators co-conspirators constituted a criminal organization. So it's essentially like what she's saying is that this is a a drug ring and Trump is the leader of the drug ring, but not drugs. Obviously, it's, it has to do with elections. So, I mean, they say, well, I, I just this this line of questioning of, well, they're going to try to get one of the co-conspirators to flip. There's 19, not counting Trump. OK, there's nobody to flip. We know exactly what happened. Trump's like, I won the election. So the, the, the attorneys that said, I agree with you and here's how, those are the ones he listened to. The ones that said you did, that might be true, but we don't have any proof of it, like William Barr and others, uh, he didn't listen to. So uh, what co-conspirator, what is Sidney Powell well, going to say? Well, I guess say? we don't know, right? right. What is Sidney Powell going to say? I didn't say what I said out loud? Yeah. Or well, who is, believes me? I think that the, what they're looking for is, or they're hoping for, something that we haven't seen yet, like a private conversation between Trump and one of the other lawyers um, saying, I know something as simple as, I know that the I lost the election, but X, Y, Z. 
And so far, that hasn't come out in the January 6th case or or this one. So that would be a smoking gun. And I guess that that would give credibility to this case. But without that, then you're sort of left trying to analyze what Trump was thinking at the time. And when it comes to the Georgia case, Brian, it was razor thin, 11,000 votes. And they did do a recount. And in it, they did you know this? They found thousands of votes that hadn't been counted originally. Now, those votes cut both Trump and Biden's yeah. way, and it wouldn't have changed the outcome of the election. But you can't say that this election was perfect and didn't and there weren't questions related to it. Did Trump take it too far? Yeah, of course. But to say that I know what I'm thinking and he knowingly lied without that smoking gun, like I said, I think is a is right. a too far. Obviously, at any moment, you could say this is like no other election because of the pandemic. There were people afraid to get out of the House. In retrospect, clearly Trump made a huge mistake telling everyone don't vote for the Senate on, on the mail. Yeah. Oh, but oh, don't, that, don't, yeah. don't vote via mail because you can't be trusted. Mm-hmm. And when you have 72-year-old people that might have some type of illness or pre-existing conditions – they are not going to the polls. Oh, yeah. They stayed home. So that's something that he's doing now is I think he's leaning into the mail-in voting. Right. It shows an adjustment. I guess Republicans have to. I think that's going to be the way elections are actually be, Some are even doing the ballot harvesting. You want a ballot harvest? Go ahead. You know, come I into, don't like any of that, though. Neither do it I. Makes, it makes it seem like, does your vote really count? And also, the fact that a th- thousands of votes were found missing in the recount, it's like... So who is winning these elections, really? Like, what? you know, it's just you have so much but, doubt over elections. But the one states. thing that I take from this in talking to these guys in Georgia and when I was around them a little bit when I was following Herschel Walker around is that in talking to Raffensperger, people voted and they voted for Kemp and they voted in the Senate, but they, a lot of them just left it blank. For, for the presidential for the election? For the president. So mm. they got the vote. So was that manipulation? I don't know, because Republicans did well except for Trump in Georgia. Yeah. And Kelly Loeffler did uh, terrible. She was a terrible candidate. Mm-hmm. Nice person, terrible candidate. Right. And she lost to Warnock. Yeah. So And then we have to think about, like, uh, you know, these— But that was in the runoff. There's been four indictments and in- incredibly and understandably Trump's— Poll numbers have gone up each time among Republicans because they see it as a witch hunt. And then you compare it to what's going on with Hunter and Joe Biden. And it's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like maybe I'd shop around for another candidate with all that's going on. Trump seems like a victim. But the question then becomes, how does that play in the general if the country is so divided and it goes just down to independent votes? How do all these cases play out yet to be determined? I mean, it could end up working in Trump's favor if he's the one that's saying, listen, I want to talk about the economy. I want to talk about actual issues, and I keep getting dragged into these various cases. Maybe that could work in his favor, but maybe not. A couple of things. The best thing for Trump is Joe Biden's performance. And yeah. it does it not a campaign. It's not a, a great blimp ad or a sarcastic 30-second uh, spot from a super PAC. It is where were things, where are things, as well as I'm still here, and I could bring you right back to it. Yeah, some people go, that's the chaos I don't want. And after people are like, really? What is worse than being asked, do you have a message for the people of Hawaii? No comment. I know. I mean, what is worse than the way he left Afghanistan and refused to yeah. apologize or acknowledge? What is worse than the way he left the border? And what is worse than the economy that now has us, instead of having us annually $550 billion overdrawn, do you know we're up $1.6 trillion? These are the spending plans that passed, some partisan, some bipartisan with 10 votes. All the spending is going in, and we don't have the revenue. Yeah. So what is where? So people are going, okay, all the money we're paying is going to the 
the interest, which is sky high, on the deficit, which is sky high. Yeah, I hope that whoever is the eventual Republican presidential nominee right now, it's looking like it's 100 percent going to be Trump, but there's still time, um, hammers Biden on the Afghanistan withdrawal because he is benefiting from time having passed. It's been two years to the day. So as time slips away, people forget how catastrophic it truly was. It's no longer in the forefront of your mind. But he just, I mean, nobody got fired for how horrific that was. The loss of, we say 13 Americans, importantly, but over 180 people and their lives mattered because of his incompetence. And that needs, people need to remember that he's the commander in chief and that happened because of his inaction. And by the way, it was one of those things where I was hands off and I didn't know. He was hands-on. He wanted this out. He wanted this done. He wanted everybody out. His uh, military officers came out publicly and said, we said we got to keep a shell force in Bagram in order to get everyone out. When he said, no, I can only keep 500, he said, well, then I can't recommend staying. So he goes, well, then pull them all out. Yep. That could be a disaster, and it was. And you, I read – I have this Doha agreement. It's six pages. It's in my office. And I just reread it. Nothing about we're pulling out regardless. It was all conditions-based. Yeah. And you just know Trump. I wish that I wish the Doha agreement never happened, though. I don't think that we, there should have ever been a no, negotiation to begin with. And there was no clamor to do it. There was no clamor among the American people, just like Barack Obama created clamor to get rid of Gitmo. Have you heard of Gitmo since? Yeah. No. Have you have you heard of no one was pushing to get out of Afghanistan because our guys weren't dying. We're sustaining. And every day that went by, another woman was understanding to they could own a business. They can go to school. They can learn to read. They was realizing who we were as a culture. We weren't looking to and dominate. Look at what's happening now. I know. And the reason I say that is because we uh, it it. it People say that it's the continuation of a 20-year war, but at, by the end of it, we weren't it at war in Afghanistan. Of course war. not. There hadn't been a loss of life in, in over a year. It was our presence being there that kept the peace and the status quo, which was a very good thing for American safety, safety on 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 the homeland. And now that we're out, we don't have the eyes there. And I, I think that's a huge worry, especially with the way the situation at the southern border is going as well. Right. Uh, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about crime and seven prominent Democrats that have called out Joe Biden on various things from border security to uh, illegal immigration in our major cities. Carly Shimkus here. You listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. There has been no more compelling case study for the failure of radical progressive politics than what's happening uh, in San Francisco. I mean, this city has been in decline for some time, but it's now reached this point of total collapse, of total freefall, where you have retailers leaving uh, the city every day, where you have people leaving in record numbers. Its population is declining faster than any major city in U.S. history. And it's so sad. It's unbelievable, really, because we're talking about one of the most beautiful places on Earth. I used to love going to San Francisco. My constituents loved going to San Francisco. But nowadays, when you think about the city, you're less likely to think about the Golden Gate Bridge and the trolley cars and the wharf than you are to think about bashed-in windshields and open-air drug markets and waste-littered streets. Yeah, it's really become unlivable. Nancy Pelosi's uh, bureaucratic building there, they told the workers, stay home, it's too dangerous. So it's not really good to walk the streets. And it's all self-inflicted. He was the former mayor, Gavin Newsom, of San Francisco, and now he's the governor. 
and he's done nothing to crack down. Los Angeles is probably the worst place. And then you add in uh, 50 Cent, and I know you covered this, Kali Shimkus, on your show this morning. 50 Cent uh, says, uh, I double down on the decline. I'm going to double down on the decline in the quality of life in Los Angeles. Uh, he says the smashing grab that he saw over the weekend said, quote, I told you L.A. was finished. They're going to have to lock the doors, appointments only. That's what he's going to have to do with his house because he says when you stop with the cash bail, when you stop letting people out, letting people steal $1,000 worth of stuff, it's over. Yeah, 50 Cent is right. Uh, guy who got shot nine times and Went to jail a couple to times. The, yeah, is now seeing reason and saying what's going on. And California is insane. And, yeah, it absolutely has to do with that, what is it, Prop 47? Right. Where you are, it becomes a misdemeanor if you steal under $1,000 worth of merchandise. So I was talking to a police officer in California once, and he says that after these smash and grabs happen, when they do catch some of the people, uh, they have noticed that their, their cell phone calculators are open, and they are actually calculating the num- the things that they are stealing to try and get under that amount because they know then they'll just walk out of jail in about an hour and they'll never face any other, uh, you know, and never face any accountability. It's a risk reward. So if, some of the, if you make that calculation, you're not going to go to jail. I'm going to steal and get away with it. Between the immigration and the between the immigration and the crime, some Democrats who are uh, off the reservation. You have uh, Governor Healy of Massachusetts, Senator Mark Kelly. He said, our border policy is just done. Congressman Ruben Gallego, he wants to be the next senator there. He says we have a huge problem at our border with 1,900 migrants a day. Our policies are not working. And there's other local people like Eric Adams, Mayor Eric Adams, says there's a problem at our border. Our immigration system is broken. But they just And they're all calling out this administration. Joe Biden has failed. Uh, you've heard that from others. So how many more Democrats going to pay the price because he's not putting any effort in? I don't even know what he does. It's gone for three and a half days. I know. Yeah. That, what's, well, it's really interesting what's going on with the immigration stuff, because like you said, all these Democrats are coming out. The uh, Is it the gov- the mayor of Boston or the governor? governor? Who's governor? The governor of Massachusetts gave that press conference and said and asked people. And in her statement, she's like, and this is the most important part. If you could house a migrant in your own home, ah. that would be great. It's yeah. like, are you, uh, really? Uh, New York City, Mayor Eric Adams alluded to the same thing. So the highest tax city in the country, you want us now to take in immigrants as well? We're not giving enough to the government as it is? I don't think so. I don't think so either. Do you have something to read? Oh, yeah. Allison handed me a piece of paper, and she told me to read these words. I'm going to do it right now. It says tarot cards. How about AI and what it's doing to America? A lot of people, for example, are complaining, including uh, psychics and those who work tarot cards, that they are losing their business because tarot, I said it wrong, Uh, tarot Mm -hmm. cards, they're losing their business because uh, AI is coming in doing it better. Yeah, I thought you'd just gotten back from France. Who said that? Jamie Lissau. Oh, it's tarot. But how do you say it? (laughs) <laughs> tarot. Tarot? Yeah. All right. So you're not into uh, astrology. I I've assume. seen people flipping the cards. You <laughs> hope you don't get the death cards. <laughs> you don't. I just saw, you know, I see the sign. I was saying it was tarot. tarot. Well, at least you didn't say tarot cards because <laughs> there is a T at the end of right. it. Right. And that's what you, that's why you came all the way in here <laughs> to undermine the show and my credibility. I feel like America needs to hear how you pronounce some, some words. Eric, I, why would you go along with that? <laughs> why don't you make a stand? This is a guide code. Okay. Shouldn't we be doing that? Wait, the other one. How do you say the um that wrestler, the really heavy wrestlers that wear like the white diapers? How do you say that? Can I say it first? Well, you're gonna ruin it. Sumo. Okay. Oh, now you got it right. You usually say sumo. 
So, <laughs> so really? They wear the diapers, right? <laughs> I think they would actually take issue with your description. Of right. Them. I'm pretty sure, too. Um, absolutely. Uh, what could, else? What else can we I, talk about, I about how this. you say things? Madonna's coming back. Really? Didn't yes. she have that crazy she almost infection? Died. She yeah. almost died. Did you know, did you see uh, Lady Gaga's father yes, spoke yes, out yes, about yes. the migrant situation? Mm-hmm. I've how been to his restaurant before, too. His restaurant is in a really nice area of New York City. On Does the west he side. say to everybody, I'm Lady Gaga's dad? Mm-hmm. Is it obvious? Well, I know because I'm a Lady Gaga fan. So I passed the restaurant once and I was like, Pete, and I had just come from dinner. And it's like, we have to go in and get more dinner because <laughs> I wanted to see him. Is it really? And a, we did. Is it nice? Was it good? Yeah, it was good. It, you know, you would never know by going into it. It's like a classic New York City restaurant. Oh, do you have anything to the plug? Do you have any appearances, live shows, singing events? I will be on Fox and Friends first tomorrow and then Fox and Friends for three hours reading the news. And then Outnumbered on Wednesday. Really? Yes. I'm on Outnumbered today. Oh, wow. We just missed each other by day. From high atop Fox News headquarters in New York City, always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Great hour coming your way, everybody. Thanks so much for being here. I'm at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, And we are the fastest growing uh, radio show in the country, thanks to you guys. Uh, If you ever want to get the podcast, briankilmeadeshow.com. Uh, keep in mind, too, there's nobody. I'm not skipping over what's happening in Hawaii. I just know, number one, uh, we're all watching, we're seeing, there's not much to say. I am just stunned that the President of the United States, who fancies himself the empathetic figure who's had so much tragedy in his life, has not said one word publicly, didn't find the microphones and cameras to go out and express the sorrow, did not send his vice president there or go there. Don't tell me it'll be a distraction. You're not. There's literally nothing there. And you sit on the ground, you eyeball FEMA, you find out where the uh, the Army Corps of Engineers are, you see the devastation yourself. What could be bad about that, especially if you're the vice president? Before we get to uh, Will Hurd, Jonathan Turley, and Stuart Varney, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California has all of these laws that have essentially legalized criminal activity, lowering the threshold for uh, felony uh, theft to $950. Uh, But then San Francisco has taken it a step further by having these progressive prosecutors. Out of control, smash and grab, and the lack of punishment. California, like so many other major cities, falling apart. And the migrant situation overrunning almost all urban environments. And what do they have in common? Democratic-run, Democratic policies. Will they reform or do Republicans have to win? Number two. David Weiss, the U.S. attorney, was in charge of this. This is now the person who is the special counsel who blew past the statutes of limitations, and yet now we have David Weiss in charge of this moving forward. Uh, there you go. More co- more confirmation of a sham investigation. An FBI agent breaks, backs up the whistleblowers, saying that Hunter got special treatment. No joke. Will anything change now that David Weiss has a new title? Number one. The indictment alleges the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. A premature number four in a late night bizarre presser, Georgia DA Fannie Willis seems seems to rush in a Trump indictment and 19 total for trial. They're going to use the RICO Act. Meanwhile, the exact indictment leaked out before the grand jury allegedly handed down their decision and all the witnesses have been heard. 
What does it tell you about their desire to get Trump and the authenticity of their investigation? With me right now is one of the most qualified guys to serve in Congress. He spent his formative years in the CIA, then went over and won a purple district in Texas. Uh, Now he's a GOP presidential candidate, good friend of the show, Will Hurd. Uh, Congressman, welcome back. Hey, Brian. It's always great to be with you, man. Thanks for having me on. I know you're uh, making some news out on the stump. And before we talk about that, I do want to bring you to something that's only lightly reported uh, or was reported a lot leading up to this weekend. And that, of course, those two whistleblowers that came forward, in my view, have everything to do with the fact that that uh, Hunter Biden deal blew up and that the special prosecutor tag is now on David Weiss. Do you agree? Uh, I, I completely agree with your with your assessment of it, and I think the question is: Is Weiss going to do anything with this new special counsel hat on? Right, like if you know if Merrick Garland was serious about repairing the trust that the DOJ has with the American public, he would have gotten somebody outside of the DOJ apparatus in order to be a special counselor, uh, not have someone who was already involved and, and criticized for what looked like a, a sweetheart deal in in those cases. And so, you know, my, my frustration with DOJ, and, and again, I, I think I think um, Hunter Biden has been a national security risk to the United States. Um, I don't think that a, a president, vice president, or senior um, a, um, leader in the government uh, should have their family members being being of a lobbyist, right? Um, I, I think, you know, when I was in Congress, the restrictions that I had on what my, me or my spouse or family could be able to do, pretty sure, I think we need to have all that. So, so yeah, I, I think DOJ needs to show a level of transparency that they haven't showed um, in order to start repairing that trust, or that yeah. lack of trust with the American people. I don't think it's, I don't know if it's possible. I really don't, not, not, not under this guy. So listen to this, an FBI agent involved in the Hunter investigation says, they were upset to learn that the Secret Service was notified of their quest to get an interview with Hunter Biden in 2020. Quote, I felt it was it, I felt it was people that did not need to know about our intent. I believe that the Secret Service had to be notified for our safety, for lack of confusion, for deconfliction, which we would do, which we would do in many other cases. But I didn't understand why the initial notification. So they gave him a heads up. The interview never happened and the storage locker was never looked at. I mean, come on! What's going on there? Look, I, I you know, it, it, it's it's hard to say. We and, and again, we can imagine why they didn't do this. Um, that the, it looks bad, like the fact that there's this lack of transparency, the fact that Congress is is shining a light on this issue. Um, you know, it's 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 it is shocking, and and it's important that the American public trusts. Their legal institutions. This issue of trust is is a problem, and I, I think you're right. Under this under this the Department of of Justice, it's going to be hard for almost half of the of the population um, to trust uh, what they're what they're doing, and and that's unfortunate, especially at a time. Um, well, we have a lot of challenges, right? Today, you know, I wish we were talking about the withdrawal from Afghanistan two years ago rather than the latest legal troubles for Hunter Biden or, or, or Donald Trump. I wish we were talking about uh, the fact that Israel is working with the Chinese in order to negotiate with, uh, with the Saudis. I, I wish we were talking about how you know at the northern border we've seen, in the last ten months we've seen an increase in apprehensions at the northern border that's more than the last ten years combined. 
Um, these are some of the real issues, but unfortunately, we're having to talk about the legal baggage of the two leading contenders for the next beat next. Well, number one, you just see, uh, we were, I was talking about Afghanistan uh, for the record a half hour ago and on television, but I, you would just hit me something with the first time. Israel working with China to make uh, men's with Saudi Arabia. I thought we were leading the Abraham Accords and the Saudi Arabia was that was the next target for Trump and Kushner. <laughs> Well, look, this is this is how bad the Biden administration is when it comes to to the Middle East and, and our foreign policy. The fact that our most important ally in the Middle East is playing footsies with our biggest uh, strategic threat in order to continue negotiations with another historical ally um, in that region, and in, instead of you know giving six billion dollars to the Iranians to um, to move you know fellow Americans from one prison to a different kind of prison, not even bringing them home, right? And let me be honest, I'm all for trying to get Americans in, you know that are wrongly in jail all over the world back home. But these deals are just absolutely insane, and and I wish we were able in, in in the political realm. And again, Brian, you've always been right on Afghanistan and shining a light on on that problem. But in the political realm, to be able to talk about these terrible policies um, of of Joe Biden. Yeah, it's just amazing what happened. I mean, when you people get talk about politics and they, they can't believe certain things that happened with Andy McCabe and others, but you, for somebody in the intelligence apparatus, you did this for a, for a living. Is the FBI lost its way in your mind? Look, here's what I would say. I'm proud of my time in the CIA. You know, my job, as, as we've talked about, stop terrorists from blowing up our homeland, prevent nuclear weapons proliferators from bringing in a dirty bomb, stop Russians and Chinese from stealing our secrets. I was overseas doing those kinds of things. Uh, but for some of the former senior leaders, when they were in office and when they're out of office, um, to have done things that erodes the reputation of those of those organizations is, is terrible. And 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 the the bad actions of a former leader um, should not be reflective of the thousands of men and women that are going and doing their jobs, putting themselves in harm's way in order for us to enjoy our freedoms. And I've told some of our former, some of the former senior officials that have gotten out, remember your tradecraft. Your gut is not a source. And when you go on TV and talk like you actually have access to information that you don't have access to, that's one of those things that erodes the public's trust and these institutions that are so important. And so I've been pretty critical of, uh, uh, look, I'm proud of serving alongside the men and women in the FBI, but I've also been pretty critical of their leadership. You know, I had beef with Jim Comey <laughs> uh, way before uh, the 2016 election, and 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 it's it, it's unfortunate um, that those leaders don't recognize the position that they're in and how mm -hmm. their um, activities um, impact the organizations that are so critical to our safety and our future. Congressman Will Hurd running for president on the Republican side. And, Congressman, you're, it looks like you're not going to be at the debate. And one of the reasons is you're not going to sign uh, the deal to support the candidate, uh, to support the Republican, what? whoever emerges, if it's not you. Well, well, Brian. So, so I'm I'm close to hitting. I got one more poll to hit the polling requirement. Um, about two thousand donors away from from being um, hitting the forty thousand unique donors. So, if any of your listeners are able to go to hurtforamerica.com, donate at least one dollar to help me be on that stage. 
Um, I've said I'm not going to – my issue of, of the loyalty pledge is not about supporting the Republican nominee. It's, I said I won't support Donald Trump. And guess who also has not agreed to sign the loyalty pledge? Uh, Donald Trump. And so whether he shows up or not, how that changes things, you know, my goal is to hit those two requirements um, in order to force the conversation and see where it goes. Um, I don't think I've ever signed a, signed a contract that I didn't make amendments to. And so uh, a lot can happen in this in this next week uh, before being on the debate stage in Milwaukee um, on the great Fox News. Right. Uh, so that'll be on the 23rd and then Fox Business will be on the next one. But the thresholds will be even higher to hit. So now I'm seeing Senator Mark Kelly. I'm seeing the Democratic Mayor Eric Adams. I'm seeing the governor of Massachusetts, Democrat. About seven overall prominent Democrats, different, different serving in different capacities, call out this administration on their border policy. Are we at the breaking point? Is this something that you have not seen before? Is it that bad where people are willing to take on their party? Look, the, the reason – it is – it's terrible. It's, 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 a, it's a crisis. Congressman and, Gallego, too. Yeah, look, it, it's and, – and if you look at some of the, the city leaders along the southern border that have historically you know, criticized um, President Biden for these policies. And so, yes, if, if I was Joe Biden, the first thing I would do – Fire Mayorkas. I, he, he's lost the trust. He doesn't understand the problems that are happening on the border. I would listen to the men and women in Border Patrol. Stop treating everybody that comes in this country as an asylum seeker. Treat narco traffickers and human smugglers as terrorist organizations. Treat fentanyl as a weapon of mass destruction. It killed 109,000 people last year. We would not allow a dirty bomb to come to this country. Why are we allowing fentanyl? We can streamline legal immigration. So if we need um, people to drive school buses or be in the hospitality industry in Texas or agriculture in Florida, let's have it done legally. Uh, Those are all the steps that should be taken, and we should be concerned. And and, and one of my frustrations with some of my uh, former colleagues um, in Congress on the Democratic side, you know, when one person dies in Texas, and again, a loss of a life is, is terrible. And, and we shouldn't be concerned. We should always be concerned about that. But last month, 100 people died um, trying to cross the border illegally. Last year, 141, 141 people drowned in the Rio Grande. And, and that's because of two main policies of Joe Biden. And we're right. seeing this problem. We, we can't continue this way. And when, when more than 5.5 million people have come into a country illegally, um, that's, that's insane. And, and we need people in office that knows how to solve this problem. Big story today I think you could resonate with, uh, and that is uh, China. As you know, their economy is not as strong as it was. And, you know, they're having a huge youth unemployment issue, 18 to 34. They're now pushing colleges. You better get a job for your students. And they're telling, job, they're telling students, take anything. That's how desperate they are. So now what they're doing is China facing record youth unemployment says they'll stop releasing the data on it. How, what, what do you think is the reality of the Chinese economy, who seem to have an endless supply of money for other countries, but maybe they're having some problems on the inside? Uh, no, absolutely. Like you can, you can, and it's probably worse than what we know. Um, and so you can't trust the numbers that are coming out. Um, but, but, but we should not minimize them as a threat, right? We always talk about deflation happening in China, and they have a debt problem. Guess who else has a debt problem? The United States of America. 
that we talk about China having an aging problem. Um, so that happens here too as well. And, and so all of these are signs that um, the United States of America, it, it within our power to stay the most important um, global superpower and the sole global superpower in the world. And we need to be taking advantage of this opportunity to further position ourselves in that so that the Chinese government can't even come close to us. Uh, but we should never take our eye off the ball. The fact that the Chinese government is increasing their footprint in Cuba, the fact that they're able to move all factors of production um, towards an individual goal, the fact that their Navy is larger than ours, um, they are still a, a existential threat, um, but they are not 10 feet tall and all powerful. We can win this new Cold War that we're engaged with them, but that requires us having thoughtful policy, talking about these issues when it comes to technologies right. like artificial intelligence and quantum computing. And this is an opportunity for us to take advantage of. Now, I know you're not a fan of Trump. We made that clear. But fourth indictment, do you think the Democrats are just after something beyond justice? Well, look, I, I think trying to challenge an election is, is not a crime. I think we all know that. Um, but in, in this instance is, you know, this was 100 years ago. Was this the equivalent of, you know, six people in a horse and buggy from Georgia going to Washington, D.C., and someone's in the bushes trying to replace them? Um, I, I don't know. I think um, you know this needs to be investigated. But my problem with all of this, yeah. Donald Trump lost the election in 2020. He knew it. The fact right. that so many people are saying that he didn't, right? You know, the defense is that he didn't know, gotcha. and, and that's it. That's- Will Hurd, we'll leave it there. Thanks so much. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. Got a couple of minutes here. The one thing is pretty important to point out that uh, even if you think that Donald Trump's 100% innocent, he is going to be inconvenienced at the very least. You got to think these four trials, four weeks each, then you got preliminaries, appearances here and there. So this is the one dream that Joe Biden had. You said the next time in a rematch, Joe Biden has got to actually campaign. After all, his opponent, if it's Trump or DeSantis or uh, Tim Scott or Nikki Haley, they're going to have good crowds. They're going to be running around to all the battleground states. What's Joe Biden going to say? He's going to send surrogates, but he's got to get out there. Is he capable? Wait. Maybe he doesn't. If his opponent is in court and if the proceedings are the news, We're not going to be talking about his infrastructure plan, his $1.5 trillion deficit, his evacuation from Afghanistan, the epic failure that it was, uh, not giving Ukraine enough weapons to not lose but not to win, Uh, what he's done with our our allies in the Middle East, what he's done with Iran, $6 billion. We're not going to be talking about that. It's going to be, well, Donald Trump is getting a raw deal. Donald Trump had a good day. Donald Trump had a bad day. That helps Joe Biden. I don't think it's a master plan. The massive indictments are the master plan, but this is going to be too good to be true. And if all these judges continue just to post these all these trials up in the spring, it'll be devastating. And that is affecting the election. And these judges have to realize that. They can't just say, well, it's not up to me. I don't acknowledge that. I have a job to do. No, you live in the United States. There's an election in 2024. Realize that.
a radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. The reason that this case is so serious is when you have a RICO contest, racketeering influence corrupt organizations. It was used originally for the mob. That was why it was created. And what you have is a mandatory minimum sentence for anyone who's convicted. It's a punishment of 5 to 20 years. So there's no walk away from this. There's no probation on this if any one of these 19 defendants is convicted. And you got to wonder what those chances are. We're going to watch it play out, and it's going to be at least a month. And if you... If the prosecutor get what she wants, uh, it'll be taking place in six months, which would make it first. Uh, with me right now, I almost introduce him every day with a brand new case, uh, Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you, Brian. Um, so your reaction to, I mean, you've seen a lot of things in your career, but what was the scramble to make sure we hand out that indictment Monday night? Why did that indictment have to be Monday night? Yeah, I've never seen anything quite like this rollout. You first had the premature uh, posting of the charges. Then you had the district attorney, Willis, sort of shrugging it off and saying, I don't know anything about the clerk process. Uh, and then you had the indictment itself uh, rolling out around midnight. None of it makes a great deal of sense. Uh, but I think it does show the sort of improvisational aspect of of this case. Willis uh, brought forth what she had promised. It is a sweeping indictment of not just Trump, but anyone uh, who assisted Trump. It is excessive. In my view, it's dangerous, but it's likely to go to trial. Is it, do, you think that, uh, do you think that Trump should be worried about this case more than the other three? I think the most serious case for Trump remains the documents case out of Mar-a-Lago, uh, but that case, if a Republican is elected, could well be uh, essentially negated through a presidential pardon or a self-pardon. You can't do that in Georgia. And to make matters worse, even the governor can't issue a pardon in Georgia. So this is a serious uh, case for Trump uh, because there's no easy off-ramp, even though I think that it is extremely attenuated and weak at critical points. Willis has over 160 separate criminal acts that she identifies as part of this racketeering conspiracy. She just took every uh, phone call, tweet, uh, speech that Trump gave and said, yep, that's that's part of the crime because you knew that was not true. If it succeeds, it would create this chilling precedent for criminalizing challenges to elections. It would mean that Democratic prosecutors or Republican prosecutors could simply haul in a candidate and their entire staff and say, well, challenges are fine, but you really didn't believe the one that you made. So the, does the jury have to be unanimous? Yes. Uh, I mean, this is obviously a bad jury pool. Uh, but the other problem here is also the 18 other co-defendants. They're looking at massive time, and the question is whether any of them will flip. You know, this is a, a trial that will bankrupt virtually all of these individuals uh, financially. And at the end of it, they're looking at serious jail time. So there is a lot of pressure 
to cooperate with Willis, and she knows it. That's why she indicted everyone. I mean, she basically charged and indicted everyone and, and said, God will sort them out. Jenna Ellis, Sidney Powell, Rudy Giuliani, some of the names that are included uh, in, in these indictments. But, I mean, basically, I think that we kind of know what goes on. They thought they were looking at alternate electors. They wanted to find out where the other ballots were. Uh, they wanted to find out if these things were on the up and up. And that's, you know, as you pointed out to me originally, that voicemail is extremely deceptive. And if, if you could define it any way you want it. Hey, could you find me more ballots? There's more ballots of people that voted for me. He didn't say, go make up some phony ballots. I only need X amount. Yeah, and if you look at the indictment, at every point where you have a reference being made where you could say, well, he could believe that, or there's an alternative innocent explanation, Willis just simply adopts the criminal explanation, the most sinister and conspiratorial one. Now, clearly, prosecutors are allowed to do that. But they're also supposed to exercise prosecutorial discretion. They're supposed to consider the implications of what they're doing. I think the implications of this indictment are really quite severe for our nation. And what's troubling is that there doesn't seem to be any way to control this. That uh, in most cases, when you have an abusive use of power, there are obvious appeals and other methods to sort of bring the prosecutor to heel. That's not likely in Georgia, and it's really troubling for me because I think the merits are remarkably weak. I mean, the evidence here is nothing that we didn't know before. I mean, she didn't come up with anything after three grand juries, three years of investigation. It's basically what we knew. Here's what she said. Cut to. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Okay, have at it. We'll see where this goes. But meanwhile, at the very least, they want a quick trial. She wants it within six months. Will she get it? I would be surprised if they could get this in trial in six months. It, it, it would create serious due process questions. You know, she had, and also she wants them all tried together. There are just a myriad of difficult questions about whether they could be tried together. A lot of the evidence or counts that she's alleging do raise some constitutional free speech issues. All of that has to be hashed out. When I say that it's likely to go to trial, it doesn't mean the whole thing's going to go to trial. There could be aspects that end up getting knocked out. So I'm skeptical, uh, but the fact that this is proceeding in the Georgia courts in an extremely hostile jurisdiction for uh, Trump, you, you can't discount that possibility. Um, so Julian Epstein had an interesting take yesterday. I wanted to share with you, as you know, he's a he's a Democrat and now he's he's a former House Judiciary Committee senior counsel member. Cut 12. I think, you know, Democrats are sort of celebrating, saying, you know, this sort of this is a done deal. You heard what you quoted, what Hakeem Jeffries said. This is mm-hmm. part of criminal activity. This is part of the ongoing criminal activity. I think that's a big mistake for Democrats because it just makes the Democratic Party look very political. It reinforces the argument that this is that, that Trump has made, that this is all a witch hunt. So anyone on from there 
I mean, he just said, listen, I'm, I, I don't want Trump to be president either. But I don't know if this is the way to do it. And that's the crazy thing is like what you're doing is you're locking the quarterback in the locker room and trying to beat the star and trying to win the Super Bowl. The other team's quarterback. Yeah, yeah. And, and you're you saying know. to yourself, is that the best? I know you want to win, but is this the way to do it? Don't you want to ju- don't you want to point out what happened and don't let legal get involved with political? That, to me, seems to be the case. Now, I turned on a couple of the other networks, and the level of euphoria was almost indecent. I mean, it's almost like Pornhub's going to introduce a new category called Trump indictments. I mean, it is <laughs> it's just is the level of of the sense of joy uh, is really disturbing uh, because this is a bad moment for the United States, even if you agree with the indictment. But also, even if you believe that Trump was lying, even if you believe that his allegations were untrue, and many do, I disagreed with him. You have a right to seek judicial review of challenges. You also have a right to be wrong. And what's missing in this indictment is any indication of how we're going to distinguish in the future between what challenges are criminal and what are allowable. It seems, according to Willis, just to depend on who's in, contra- who's in charge of the district attorney's office. I mean, because, you know, you could have easily brought these charges against Democrats who challenged past presidential election. You know, Mark Elias, who was Hillary Clinton's general counsel, he was tied to the whole Steele dossier thing, and he's one of the leading Democratic uh, attorneys. He brought a case after 2020 alleging that machines in New York had effectively flipped the result of one of those district races. And it was, of course, rejected immediately as unfounded. But there was barely any media coverage, and there certainly wasn't any hue and cry that Mark Elias and the Democrats are threatening the very essence of our nation. I hear you. Could he go to jail, the president, or would Secret Service, would that prevent him from going to jail? Well, that's actually one of the more interesting aspects to this, because even though the federal pardon authority does not reach state offenses, there can be some federal constitutional problems on the back end. You know, if the state officials attempt to imprison a president, uh, it could be challenged as uh, conflicting with the federal constitution. Jonathan Turley, always educational. Thanks so much for testing your whole legal knowledge, and you stepped up to it. Now, the Brian Kilmeade Show joins Fox Business's Varney and Company with Stuart Varney, live on your radio and on Fox Business. Here's Brian Kilmeade. So listen, when we get done with Stuart, I got a little time on the back end, 1-866-408-7669. I'll be able to get to you then. Uh, by the way, really looking forward to this. Uh, One Nation coming up on Saturday night. I'm going to be talking to Victor Shokin. He is that prosecutor that, that Joe Biden bragged about firing. What is his side of the story? Is he clean? Was he a good guy? Is he mischaracterized or is he a bad guy? Joe Biden do the right thing. We're about to find out. Uh, I got a translator all lined up. It's going to be great. That's One Nation Saturday. So let's listen in together. 
10. It's 10.51. Magically appearing, here is Brian Kilmeade. All right, Brian. Former President Trump invited, indicted by a grand jury in Georgia over election meddling. Fourth indictment in five months. Is it fair to have a long series of trials at the same time you've got a presidential campaign? Is that fair? I've never seen anything like it. I can't even, you know, we don't even have to say, well, what would Bill Clinton do? What happened with Richard Nixon? We could just go on a parallel course with Joe Biden and how the and what is happening with his investigation. And you see the different pathways. One's going two miles an hour with the same guy who's sitting on the same case for five years. And the other four indictments now on a breakneck pace, not only are they offering indictments, they all want speedy trials. Jack Smith wants both of his trials ahead of the next. Somebody should tell him he's handling both cases. And then you have Alvin Bragg, a poor excuse for a prosecutor, is watching New York and is authoring New York's demise. And then you have this woman who can't even put together a grand jury correctly. They were prematurely released the indictment ahead of time, and that happened around 4.30. And then it comes out and says, oh, I don't, I'm not really a clerk for a living. Excuse me. If you have a grand jury investigation and you have people that have not yet testified on your witness list, you should not have a conclusion to the grand jury yet, I wouldn't think. So people look at this and say four cases, four weeks, four weeks, four weeks, four weeks. Okay, that's a lot of weeks. That's 16 weeks in which the president, the presidential nominee, if things are the way they are right now for the Republican side, will not be campaigning. Guess who's happiest about that? The current president of the United States, who can't campaign, he's physically unable to. He's physically unable to do a somewhat contentious interview. He can't express a, a, he can't express compassion exactly. for a devastated community. So this is you. If you smell politics, it's hard to push back on that statement. Uh, now let's turn to the the Maui tragedy. President Biden originally said no comment when he was asked about the fires. Now the White House says he's praying for the victims. He's not yet commented directly on the wildfires, and he's going to go on vacation on Friday of this week for another week at Lake Tahoe. Is this a new kind of basement strategy? Say nothing and go on vacation? Uh, there, there's so much wrong with this. I mean, they said the President of the United States has been through so much personal tragedy, and it's true. He's great at expressing compassion. Please explain to me where you're hiding it. No comment, riding by on a bicycle, a devastated community, literally flattened. You could have you could have thousands are still a thousand still missing. About a hundred have lost their lives. A community wiped out. And I'll tell you something else. He's passed his prime by about ten years. We got it. You know who isn't? The vice president. She's looking for an opportunity to define herself. And everywhere she turns, she, her instincts are terrible. How about this? Put on a jean shirt, you go out there. You don't worry about disrupting people. You look in their eyes. You say, what do you need? You find out what's going on, and you make that your project. And that is leadership. How about this? Dana Perino had a great point last night of the five. You know who knows why? Barack Obama. In the past, George W. Bush asked his father and Bill Clinton to help out when devastating things happened around our country and around the world. Thailand comes to mind after a tidal wave. How about Barack Obama? Would you be able to go ahead and marshal the aid to Hawaii? That is a president in action. Maybe the person to implement is the vice president. But instead, we get a guy that says no comment on the people of Hawaii. And then you have a press secretary misgender 
the senators who represent Hawaii of total failure of local leadership and the federal government. And did you hear the NBC reporter who said to KJP, hey, did the, was the president asked not to comment on Hawaii? And she goes, no. So he, she even gave her an out, and she didn't take it. So it's a compliant press, but, Stuart, we can't let up. There's a certain threshold of leadership I think every American should demand on any party. I would agree entirely. Brian, thanks very much for being here on a very important day. Mr. Kilmeade, thank you, sir. You got it. And thanks also to Brian. Uh, all right. So the one thing that my, my point was, too, and I was about to make it, but we're up against a break. When Puerto Rico was wiped out uh, by a hurricane, the president went there, and when he showed up, he was throwing paper towels to people. They needed it, or there was, he was throwing things, and they couldn't believe how callous that was. People in Puerto Rico loved it. It shows he was caring. He's in the middle of a crowd. He's doing his own thing. They talked about this for weeks, and I know, and, and I take pride in flipping around. I want to know what everyone's saying the best I can while living somewhat of a normal life. And they killed Trump on this. But guess where he was? He was there. The same old thing when you go in and say when you go into a disaster, you know, it's uh, you, you become a distraction because of the big footprint. In Hawaii, that's not the case. Sadly, the whole infrastructure is gone. Everything is gone. So you will be walking around with your security and you'll be helping with that security. Stop some of the looting that's taking place. And there's nothing better than seeing things face to face. You know, through Sandy, my stuff was wiped out in fires in Los Angeles. And then through Sandy, uh, stuff wiped out in uh, uh, on Long Island. Like many of you, you've been forced to deal with this. The one, there's nothing better than seeing things firsthand. When you drive there, cover it, and you go, okay, why are these are these people upset? Are they sad? Are they angry? Are they are they feel they're being ignored? What do they need? Do they they need clothing? Do they need money? Do they need a place to stay? Are there enough hotel rooms? Are there enough rented cars? Do they need a place to go? Um, uh, do they need uh, toiletries? And then you know how to relay it and what to do. You saw it after 9-11, too, because we were here in the middle of it. We knew exactly what was going on. You didn't need a reporter, and that's what leadership is. Uh, meanwhile, these two cases, cases are, are raging, uh, and politics are happening, and the president of the United States, who said he waited his whole life to become president, doesn't seem to ever want to go to the White House. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard, heard around the country, heard around the world. Uh, Jackie Heinrich is standing by. We're also going to talk about this rage in transgender issues uh, with Ollie London. So we'll talk about that. And it's not, nothing stopping, sadly. Uh, this is nonstop. Out of all the issues in this country, it seems like we're creating one to fight about, but it's not going away. And if you don't stand up, this whole country's going to be on its head. Uh, meanwhile, uh, we have a lot going on last night. If you're like me, uh, you stayed up to watch what was the fourth indictment of the president of the United States. We're also keeping an eye on what's happening in Hawaii and stunned to see the president not speaking out directly to the people of Hawaii, not giving an address, not showing that he even cares, only ready, set to go, ready, set, go. Let's go back on vacation again. So let's get to the big three. 
Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. California has all of these laws that have essentially legalized criminal activity, lowering the threshold for uh, felony uh, theft to $950. Uh, But then San Francisco has taken it a step further by having these progressive prosecutors. Out of control, smash and grab, lack of punishment, California falling apart. A lot of Democratic cities, urban environments falling apart. What they have in common? These are Democratic policies that wanted to defund the police and now wonder where the police are. Uh, There are seven at least prominent Democrats who also see the problem with illegal immigration in our country and are speaking out against this administration's policies. And where's the president? M.I.A. Number two. David Weiss, the U.S. attorney, was in charge of this. This is now the person who is the special counsel who blew past the statutes of limitations. And yet now we have David Weiss in charge of this moving forward. Here you go. More confirmation of a sham investigation. An FBI agent backs up whistleblowers in saying Hunter got special treatment as soon as the president entered the White House. Will anything change now that David Weiss has a new chat with a new title? Number one, the indictment alleges the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election results. Indictment number four in a late night bizarre presser, Georgia D.A. Uh, Fonnie Willis seemed rushed to get Trump and 19 others to trial. Meanwhile, the exact indictment leaked out before the grand jury allegedly handed down their decision or handed up. What does it all mean for Trump personally and the election for our nation? If you look at Andy McCarthy's column today in the New York Post, they think this is the biggest threat to uh, President Trump's freedom. Let's bring in Jackie Heinrich. Jackie, welcome back. Hey, thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Hey, first off, on the Maui situation, we have our reporters over there. Almost every network's covering it. How do you explain the White House detachment from it? And what was the feeling in the room yesterday with KJP knowing that the 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 reclassification of David Weiss, along with the president's no comment on the, the message to the Hawaii, to Hawaiian people? Well, you know, on Hawaii, you can't explain it. And the White House really didn't. And, you know, Karine Jean-Pierre was given an opportunity to sort of speak to why in that moment the president chose to say no comment rather than anything (laughs) uh, to speak to the plight of this island, you know, this state that, you know, run by Democrats, you would think also that, you know, he, as a person who ran for office on his own empathy, would take that moment. It's a layup just to, you know, be empathic and, and give his regards to the people that live there that are suffering the huge loss of life that they've had. Uh, maybe even talk about climate, something that he would, you know, if your President Biden would want to seize on that opportunity to sort of tie these things together. Often when you've got fires, he'd he ties that into discussions about climate. He didn't seize that moment, and we didn't get a good explanation for why. The press secretary only said, you know, he's been following this, and we will be hearing from him. We're going to see him later on in the week. Uh, he's got a press conference on Friday. But you would think that he would, you know, take that chance to just say anything. It looked very bad that he didn't. Uh, and, it, and these are the biggest layups. What about the vice president? What an opportunity for her to go down there and just work it. You know, again, something you just can't explain. Um, I I, I don't have any good explanation for why they wouldn't recognize this as a moment where, um, you know, they could 
seize on an opportunity to show their empathy and rally, you know, this community that's in need of support, support from the federal government, talk about their priorities. Again, no good explanation. All right. And uh, what about the was there an effective explanation on Hunter Biden's new status? There's a real push to wall the president off from Hunter's uh, tribulations. Has it been effective with you think the press corps? Do you notice a change in tone yesterday? Well, I think that the press is, you know, getting just sort of jaded at the fact that we don't get any answers. And the answers that we do get are the same answers. Um, I think people are still trying, but they have really deferred and punted every single question on this to DOJ, even the ones that they shouldn't punt. Um, Like, for instance, I asked, you know, hey, we've now had skepticism coming over Weiss's appointment, not just from the right and people who criticized this deal that he pushed through that many people called a sweetheart deal, later thrown out by a judge. Uh, now, all of a sudden, five years into this investigation, he needs special counsel uh, powers. And then also from Hunter Biden's own attorney suggesting that David Weiss might buckle to political pressure, saying if he does anything outside of what the deal that they negotiated was, then something other than the facts and the laws come into play causes real big questions about public confidence in the Department of Justice. And we got the same answer from the White House that, you know, DOJ is independent, president loves his son, yada, yada. But I also asked her, well, okay, would the White House support Weiss going before Congress to clear up some of these issues? She said that's up to DOJ. DOJ has already said, uh, they already said back in July that Weiss should go before Congress and answer some of these questions because they're concerned about eroding public confidence in uh, the DOJ and what they called misconceptions about how this case has been handled. Um, Not a lot has changed since they said that, you know, materially. Yes, Weiss has been elevated to a special counsel status. But if you accept the DOJ's line that all along David Weiss has had the ultimate authority bring whatever charge he wanted in whatever jurisdiction he wanted, then really they cannot argue that the special counsel status changes that. And in their July 25th, I think, letter, they also said we would support him talking to Congress while this investigation is ongoing, uh, something that we normally would not support because of how concerned they are uh, that the public is not trusting in their handling of this case. So I don't know what DOJ ends up doing now. White House, though, had an opportunity to give their blessing and say, we want people to have confidence in the handling of this case. They just punted that question, too. I want you to Abby Lowell, Hunter's attorney, over the weekend. And it doesn't seem like Margaret Brennan of CBS understands there are whistleblowers that will uh, will argue this. Cut 26. Is it your position that Joe Biden was completely walled off from Hunter's business affairs? As you know, this is a focus in Congress. I understand. And my opinion doesn't matter. What matters is the facts and the evidence. Right. And the facts and the evidence that have been pursued by however many members of Congress and their staffs and media looking for any possible connection has shown time and time again it doesn't exist. If the most people that are criticizing the Biden family is, is that when the president calls his son every day and it goes on the speakerphone, he says hello to the people in the room. That is not an offense. That is nothing other than a loving father. Well, it's a lot different from Devin Archer said 20 times over the last 10 years. He called into the middle of business meetings, including showing up to these business meetings with Burisma executives, Kazakhstan prime ministers, uh, oligarchs. Uh, this is this is chronicled and proven. The follow up questions can't be answered except for we only talked about the weather. 
Yeah, I, I do think that it's very interesting that Abby Lowell went on TV in the first place. I mean, that signals to me that they think this is going to go to trial and that they need to be out front in, in the public eye because it's going to be a, a trial also in the court of public opinion. Um, I think that that was a, an interesting twist, also considering that Abby Lowell is now, uh, as of today, Hunter's lead counsel on this. He dropped uh, Chris Clark. And in the filing, noted that he can no longer be his attorney because under the new scope of where this investigation goes, Chris Clark might be a witness. Um, so I, I, I think that it's interesting that you have Abby Lowell out there defending not just his client, but his client's father in many respects. Uh, so listen to uh, the, the take from another network that they're starting to understand that you can't avoid this story. Cut 28. I understand this is a dad talking about his son, but it's also the president of the United States talking about a potential defendant in a case that his Justice Department is prosecuting. Also, he was about to plead guilty to some things that he did wrong. Does the president need to stop publicly saying his son did nothing wrong? Well, look, I think the president has been very clear that he's going to let the process play out. But the fact of the matter is that President Biden, uh, there's been no evidence to show that he's been involved in anything. So I'm just I'm just struck by for two years they weren't interested in this. The laptop wasn't real. There was no connection with Joe Biden. But now even the Washington Post wrote the president's not clean, but he didn't do anything criminal. You can look in, uh, Jackie, maybe look into uh, the future. Could this be getting closer and closer to real inquiries from other networks? I mean, I think that it has to. This is not going anywhere so long as the, you know, what happens in court, I think, tomorrow with the judge's ruling on the immunity clause that Abby Lowell and Hunter's team are arguing is still valid, by the way, which I don't think that gained a lot of steam anywhere. But that was a pretty significant standout moment to me in that Abby Lowell interview. And also in the court filing, they're trying to argue that, hey, this diversion charge on the gun thing uh, that included blanket immunity for charges, you know, broadly under whatever involved the, the dates and, and the, the evidence that they're you know, talking about, um, they're arguing that that still stands because it was signed in court. Um, the judge is going to make their decision on, you know, what happens with that. But this clearly is not going anywhere. You also have the government, you know, last month saying we, we do intend to continue looking into this. We do intend to pursue other leads. Maybe, um, you know, some legal minds would say that they're taking that more seriously after the congressional investigations. Maybe they didn't have any intention to, to go that far before. Otherwise, we probably would have seen something. Um, but it's not going anywhere, clearly. So especially as we get into the election season and we have this hanging over the president's head, you know, every time you see the president, there's a question about his son. So that inevitably is going to drive more media coverage on this, even as you know the, the court process plays out. Did you say he's having a press conference Friday? He is. So he's meeting with um, the the Japanese and the South Koreans um, at Camp David. That's reportable. Um, he's going to have a, a summit, and there will be a, a press conference there. They're talking really about uh, North Korea, about China, um, and we have a very limited footprint there, but we do have media access. So the, the details of that is you know, still being worked out, timing and whatnot. But uh, I think it'll be his first one in at least a few months. So you can guarantee there's going to be a question or two with that. 
in that setting. And because he hasn't spoken very much on this, he, he dodges the media all the time. Now he's going to likely have to face questions about his son and about this whole affair uh, in front of leaders from, you know, two other states. Yeah, two other countries. Amazing. Uh, so Fannie, uh, Fannie Willis yesterday, uh, a fourth indictment for the former president of the United States over in Fulton County. Cut four. The grand jury issued arrest warrants for those who are charged. I am giving the defendants the opportunity to voluntarily surrender no later than noon on Friday, the 25th day of August, 2023. Do you feel the president of the United States will be discussing that? I'm sure he'll get questions on a guy I know he despises, President Trump. They want to be quiet to make everything seem as nothing to do with him. Trump keeps saying this is Joe Biden. He just says he knows he can't beat me and this is how he wants to defeat me. How do you think this plays out at 1600? They've been very careful to stay away from any discussion about Trump's legal troubles. Um, you know, broadly, I think that they're trying to keep the focus on what the president is doing and, you know, show people that you have, you know, a leader in the White House who's focused on, you know, the issues facing Americans and not. Um, you know, the, the past. That's what they're trying to do. Um, I do think there's probably going to be questions about it. Every time there's a, a new twist involving the former president, they do get a question in the briefing room uh, about it, especially from the networks that, you know, cover Trump obsessively. Um, so we, we can expect that they're going to probably at some point have to take a question, but he has historically only done that in the limited sit-down interviews, you know, every few months where he does a sit-down with MSNBC or, or ABC, George Stephanopoulos, uh, and, and then he says something. Um, but generally, they try to stay away. And also, I was scanning this morning for, like, any tweets or anything for any staffers, nothing from them. So I think that's indicative of what they're going to do also. Jackie Heimrich, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. All right, and look forward to getting a few questions off on Friday. Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Remember, the top of the hour, I'm on outnumbered. You'll get to see what I look like, finally. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first on The Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I don't know that anybody should be satisfied. This this is uh, a terrible moment for our country to have uh, a former president accused of these uh, terribly uh, important crimes. The only satisfaction may be that the system is working, uh, that all of the efforts by Donald Trump, his allies and his enablers to try to silence uh, the truth, to try to undermine uh, democracy, Uh, have been brought into uh, the light, and justice is being pursued. Uh, She is such, uh, so insincere, it's ridiculous. By the way, Rachel Maddow also made a statement, I'll just paraphrase, that people have to learn to accept elections, so if you don't win an election, it's it's fraudulent. She's saying it to Hillary Clinton. That's exactly what she did. She said, Donald Trump knows he's an illegitimate president. She said that she actually won an election and didn't get to become president. She said this repeatedly uh, for the longest time. Stacey Abrams, same thing. If you actually want to make a statement like that, You can't do it in front of Hillary Clinton and not acknowledge that she's the biggest election denier of all time. 
I'm not a I'm, I'm making excuses for Trump, but it's just true. But yesterday, a lot of people had just had it. The analysis was fast and furious. Here's Cash Patel, cut 16. That is a constitutional farce and illegality. As a former federal prosecutor and public defender who's defended cases involving 10 and 20 defendants, there's this thing called the blockbuster ruling. If one defendant is using a statement against another defendant in the charged indictment, that case has to be split and tried separately. All 19 can go separately or there can be a combination of the two. Either way, there is no way under the constitutional rigors of due process to get six uh, to get this to trial in six months. But more importantly, the Fulton County DA just made a representation to the world. She just lied to the universe. As the district attorney, your name, your stamp is on every single indictment. You do not have loose copies of indictments floating around and blame the clerical system and the judicial officer in the clerk's office for a mishap. And that's 100% correct. Uh, when he was asked about why was this released, and Reuters reported with a screenshot why was it released while you were still calling in witnesses that was scheduled for Tuesday? They quickly took it down and said it was a mistake. I don't really know how to be a, cl- a clerk. I've never was a clerk before, so I don't know how something like that happens. That's a total lie, especially because the final version looks very similar to the one that was posted of an error. But no one said, oh, it was hacked. It was put there by mistake. We're sorry. Instead, they said that was a clerk's problem. Well, who? what's the clerk's name? And... When you give something to a grand jury, they're supposed to actually pretend to deliberate. Don't tell them the conclusion before they're done. I thought that was a mistake. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, we are back. And uh, with us right now uh, is... Uh, Ali London, author of Gender Madness, One Man's Devastating Struggle with Woke Ideology and His Battle uh, to Protect Children. Uh, Ali, great to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me, Brian. So tell everyone your journey to where you are right now. Um, You actually went through this. You wanted to be a – you're a male Mm -hmm. and you wanted to be a Korean woman. Yeah, so I've been through a lot. So I had a variety of factors uh, in my childhood that influenced uh, my decision to struggle with my identity. So I had very severe bullying. So as a teenager, a lot of kids would say that I looked like a girl or I had breasts or I looked pregnant. So that gave me a real complex. And then as I went through puberty, I struggled with my sexuality and that made me question my identity. So into adulthood, I started to undergo some surgeries just to fix some things and try and make myself happy. And it just never satisfied me. So I started almost becoming addicted to that. When did it start? When um, you started with the surgeries? And- I started with the surgeries in twenty uh, when I was age 23. So I moved to South Korea and it's, you know, it's the number one country for plastic surgery. So there was a lot of pressure there to look a certain way in order to be happy and be seen as a symbol of success. So that's when it started. So, I mean, you ended up, uh, through your journey, which you chronicled, you end up with uh, your huge uh, social media following, 2.3 million followers, 2.3 billion views on TikTok, 400 million views per month on Twitter. What were people checking out? The the struggles that you were having, you're being very public with it? Yeah, I mean, I was always very, you know, because I was struggling with it, I was projecting that online. And now I obviously realize that was harmful because kids can be influenced by what they see online. But at the time, I didn't see it because I was generally convinced that I was a different identity. And then I transitioned and I suddenly got all that praise, the affirmation, the validation, and that almost 
push me further. And I think that's the issue a lot of young people feel. They want validation. They go online. You know, if you get likes and comments, you think, you know, it makes you feel beautiful. So you start to do more and more changes and more and more things. And, you know, I shared that struggle online and, you know, a lot of people kind of responded to it. And they were praising me when I was trans and suddenly hating on me when I detransitioned. And that's what you're doing now? Well, now I'm just being outspoken. So I basically trying to use my platform for good. I'm trying to raise awareness of, look, kids can't make decisions. You know, I was an adult. I still got confused and changed things, but kids cannot make decisions. So I think that's a very important message to talk about because we're seeing kids now having surgeries, hormones, puberty blockers, and it it's not right to do that to kids. Right. Uh, so how old are you now? Uh, 33. You're 33 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're, uh, you believe that this puberty blockers and not telling parents, that's got to stop. And you're saying it's just as bad in the UK or the US or do we have it worse? I mean, the U.S. is the worst. So my new book, Gender Madness, I discuss all the research and show how this is being pushed on society. The U.K. has banned puberty blockers for under-16s recently. So we're seeing a lot of progress there, although there is woke indoctrination in schools. But the U.S. is the number one for child gender transitions. There's over 60 pediatric gender clinics for kids, thousands of kids every year uh, in places like California, Oregon and Washington State. Sometimes they don't even need parental consent. So a 15-year-old can have a double mastectomy without parental knowledge. And did, would, how far did you go? Um, I mean, I went very far. I did um, 32 surgeries over a period of 10 years and um, 11 facial feminization surgeries in one day. So that was to feminize my face, to give me the female look. And um, it was a very extreme surgery. I couldn't open my eyes for three days. I couldn't speak. Um, and I put myself self through hell. Um, because of that identity crisis. So now I've kind of realized that was harmful. I'm just trying to focus on positivity and trying to help others. It was amazing that these surgeons wouldn't stop you and say, hey, listen, I, th- I think you got to see somebody first. Yeah, I mean, I was traveling around the world. So, you know, I would just find a surgeon on Instagram, which was obviously bad. And, you know, there were no checks and balances. There was no psychological evaluation or anything. And um, I think that's the issue we have these days in the U.S. as well. There's a lot of young people that you know they'll just have one therapist appointment or one meeting with a doctor. And suddenly they're booked to be on puberty blockers or hormones and double mastectomies. So I think there's a fast track process now. And I think that's really harmful. So Neo, who's I think father of five or seven, is a great singer. Uh, and he got some blowback when he said this. I, I feel like parents have almost almost forgotten what the role of a parent is. Amen. It's like, okay, if your little boy comes to you and says, Daddy, I want to be a girl. And you just let him rock with that? You just let Right. He's five. So he says that seemed perfectly logical. Do you Are you surprised that he got blowback on that? Well, firstly, I think it was great that Neo spoke out because it's very hard for Hollywood celebrities to speak on this issue because, you know, people get cancelled for voicing their opinions. So I think it was great. He did then issue a retraction apologizing for his statement because I think he was getting a lot of backlash from trans activists. And then he issued another video saying he stood by his statement and this is wrong. And, you know, he's a dad. He's got five kids. So he was saying from his perspective as a parent, it's not right to do this to kids. And I think, you know, a lot of people look up to him. He's a great singer, a lot of followers. So hopefully that will help influence other parents parents to, you know, don't push your kids into transitioning. People can wait as adults and make a decision then. All right. So here is uh, Neo. After his publicist, he said, but at a statement uh, apologizing, he went forward with this. This is something I feel very strongly on. And I need y'all to hear this from the horse's mouth, not the publicist's computer. So check this out. First and foremost, I do not apologize for having an opinion on this matter. I am a 43-year-old heterosexual man raising five boys and two girls, okay? That's my reality. Now, if my opinion offended somebody, yeah, sure, I apologize for you being offended because that wasn't my intention. My intention is never to offend anybody. However, I'm entitled to feel how I feel. 
I'm absolutely entitled to feel how I feel the same way you are entitled to feel how you feel. So he he said, let that stand. And I sense that he's letting it stand and he's not feeling the after effects. Does that make you feel better about where we might be heading? Well, you know, it's good to see people speaking out because I think a lot of people are scared. I mean, we saw what happened with Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling basically getting cancelled for saying, um, you know, biological males can't menstruate. So we see these attacks on celebrities that speak out. So I think it helps lay some groundwork when you have someone like Neo speak out. It's going to encourage other people to speak out. And I think, you know, this is a conversation that's very important. It's affecting millions of young people. So we should be talking about this in a, you know, in a nice way, like having a conversation with trans people, having a conversation with women and parents and, you know, bringing people together. But how did this become such a big thing? I mean, trans people always existed. Mm -hmm. So why is it a big thing now? Have you figured it out? Um, so in my book, I've actually spoken about the trans history. And of course, there have been many examples throughout history. But what we're seeing now is an unprecedented number of young people transitioning. And that can't just be, you know, the simple fact that society is more inclusive. That leads to kind of saying that there's something pushing this. So we had with the pandemic, TikTok came about in 2018. And we suddenly saw a vast number of kids wanting to transition and sharing that journey. There are billions and billions of views on videos on TikTok of you know, young women sharing their double mastectomies, doing testosterone injections. And we're seeing a sharp number of girls and women wanting to transition. So I really think it is a social contagion that is spurred on by social media and seeking validation. So what is your social media uh, comments like now? Um, so, I mean, I get a lot of love and support because I'm, you know, I speak up for parents. I think it's very important to speak up for women's spaces and women's sports. Um, so I get a lot of love and I really appreciate that, but I also get a lot of hate. And for instance, you know, my, my new book's just out now, a lot of trans activists, they posted one star reviews before the book was even out. So, you know, trying to discredit me and trying to make me look bad. And, you know, I get a lot of death threats as well, but you know, I persevere through that. I think, you know, these people are just saying things online and I need to keep going on with this message because it's very important to get it out there. And what do you, how do you feel about women's sports? Um, so I'm actually spokesperson for Fairness First Pack alongside Caitlin Jenner. And um, this is an organization we work basically to try and protect women's sports. And look, everybody should have the right to play sports. It's very important. But it's biological. Uh, you know, men have a biological advantage uh, competing against women, even if they're on uh, testosterone suppressants or estrogen. So regardless of that, we just had a Canadian powerlifter broke the women's record in Canada, biological male, by 210 kilograms versus the second female competitor. So it's just about fairness. So that's what I'm working on now. And, you know, I, I speak with Briley Gaines and other athletes. And, you know, we all need to speak up now because it's simple logic. And, you know, we can have a men's open category or a separate category so trans athletes can still compete because it's very important everybody has a right to play sports. I, I imagine it is. So uh, you hooked up with Riley Gaines with her new brand new uh, group, her new foundation who we spoke to yesterday. Mm -hmm. And are you surprised that Alex Morgan and Megan Rapinoe, two of the finest soccer players in the world, said men transitioning men should be able to play with women? Well, I mean, that's just Megan Rapinoe. <laughs> she doesn't even, you know, sing the national anthem. She gets on her knees and she laughs when she misses a penalty. So that doesn't surprise me. But I think it's harmful because someone like that you know, has a large following. Popularity. Popularity. So, you know, if girls and young women are looking up to Megan Rapinoe, they listen to what these people say as influencers. They take that word as gospel. So I think it's very harmful when you have a female athlete saying that, uh, you know, because it does affect all women. It's simply not fair. Um, and so in your book... How does your family feel about what you've been through? 
Um, so they had a really tough time. So, you know, my mum, we grew very detached um, because of all my transitions and my struggle with identity. And I really did put her through hell. And, you know, I didn't see it at the time. I didn't see it. She was trying to stop me and I just wouldn't listen. So we got very detached. And now I'm trying to repair that relationship. It's very important. I'm trying to repair relationships with my friends. But I've had friends cancel me recently that I've been friends with for 10 years because they're saying, oh, it's transphobic to speak up for women or it's transphobic to speak up for kids. And it really isn't. Um, do you feel like there's people profiting off this? Yeah, I mean, last year, uh, gender clinics made $2.2 billion in the U.S., so there's a lot of money to be made. Um, for a girl to transition into a boy with the surgeries, it's around $70,000. For a boy to a girl, it's about $40,000. Then you have to think they're always on hormones for most of their life, so hormones and puberty blockers, so you know, they have to have prescriptions. In some states, Medicaid and Medicare does pay for that because the law requires them to do so, but you know, it's a big, big business, and you have LGBT lobby groups pushing this, and uh, you know, it's just wrong to exploit kids for and also, I think with the plastic surgery, I am stunned that somebody, they, you just have a quick evaluation, they'll do whatever you want because it's it's money. Yeah, it's just money. And like a lot of people, they just have one consultation. Um, the famous uh, Hollywood actress, uh, Ellen Page, who is now Elliot Page, they actually revealed in their book that they just had one consultation with a therapist and they were immediately booked for a double mastectomy. And they were an adult, but this does happen to kids as well. So that that is wrong, you know, because there should be checks and balances in place to check this person's mental health, to check that they're sure of this, because it's a very big thing and it's irreversible. And I talk about this in the book. Gender affirming surgery is irreversible and there's no way of fixing it. If you have a complication with a phalloplasty or vaginoplasty, you're stuck with that for life. All right. And uh, and for people uh, that want to reach out and get your book, Ali London. Uh, it's called Gender Madness, One Man's Devastating Struggle with Woke Ideology and His Battle to Protect Children. Where do they go? Um, so the book's available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Nobles, and Walmart, um, and the link's on online on Amazon. And you know, it's a book for parents. It's a book for people struggling with their identity, and it's a really important issue. So you know, I think people should uh, support the book. Do you have an event? Coming up. Um, so, you know, the book, uh, the, because of the subject, the trans subject, none of the book retailers would host me for a book You're signing. You're kidding me. I've just been to Barnes & Noble right now. Yet you had right this now. huge following right. and you could sell the whole place out. I've just been to Barnes & Noble, so they're stocking it online. The flagship store won't stock it. You have to order it online, basically, because it's controversial. So I think that's sad because books are about opinions. People can draw their own conclusions, and this is a very important message. Now, if, there were, if your message was, hey, go ahead and transition – would they have a would they have a different view of you? Absolutely. I mean, I'm sure they would have booked me for every single bookstore if I was, you know, promoting transitioning kids or young people. I'd be, you know, the book would be in the window. It'd be on full display. Which is part of the reason why you had to write the book. Exactly. People, the life, the world is upside down. Exactly. I just want to expose that. So that's why, you know, gender madness is going to help a lot of people. All right. When we come back. More to know. Top of the arrow. Be on outnumbered. Ali London. Thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. Great meeting you. Mm-hmm. Listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. You know, I'm going to be on outnumbered at the top of the hour, but before I do, I realize let's leave the headlines for a second and see if there's more to know. More to know. All right, here you go. You got an obscure country artist, at least obscure for now. And by the way, I was with, um, I was with um, Jelly Roll, and he was. Uh, speaking on Fox and Friends, and he said, did you hear about Oliver Anthony? I talked to him, and this guy has arrived. His name is Oliver Anthony, and he wrote this song and performed this song called Richmond, North of Richmond, and it shot to the top of the U.S. Apple Music Charts on iTunes. He's unknown for now, 
but he's just speaking about working class America, working very hard and not being able to get ahead. Uh, he has nine million views in five days. And the song's lyrics are, uh, you could tell it comes from the heart. He talks about really what working class America is like. And he talks about how basically detached Washington is. And it's become a theme for conservatives. And you guessed it, despised by Democrats, which is nuts. It shouldn't be. Uh, because Republicans had this rap, and I think it's inaccurate, of being the party of the white collar, of the elites. You know, they don't want to pay taxes. And not so, uh, not so true. But that's amazing, too. Again, country music dividing. Jason Aldean comes out and say, not in a small town, when it talks about cracking down on crime and what's happening in major cities. Democrats had a problem with it. Because of their protest, it rocketed to number one. Next, more music. J-Lo is in a place where I just was, and I wouldn't be surprised if she's there because of me. In Capri, in Italy, I did a day trip on a simple ferry, one up uh, the mountain. It was a lot of fun, but I was not there to see J-Lo crush it um, as in karaoke. But she also, I understand, Allison, ripped her dress. Apparently, she was getting so into it, she ripped her sequin dress. But, yeah, she's saying, um, we'll hear a little bit of uh, I Will Survive. But I guess she also sang Let's Get Loud. We'll hear I Will Survive. So where was Ben Affleck? Do we know? I don't know. I didn't get that far in that, but I mean, right? Would that not have made your trip to Italy just a little bit It would have been very better? interesting to say that. Is that J-Lo on karaoke? Yeah. That's fantastic. Also, what about her willingness to do it? I think it's I fantastic. I mean, you think that I'm on vacation. I don't want to perform, but she must just love it. I was going to say that just shows that she's a true performer and doesn't care. If, you know, if she's there and has a microphone, she's going to sing and dance. I, I guess so. <laughs> but do you get the sense that this Affleck, J-Lo thing is not going to work. I mean, we've seen him on the dance floor three or four times. We saw him at, was it the Grammys? He looked bored to tears. You saw some audio on the red carpet, and he's like, listen, you better not go anywhere when she stopped to take pictures because she thought he was going to disappear. I mean, it's crazy. hes It's not like he's a civilian. I know. I think they like to play that up a little bit, too. I really have no idea. It did seem like when they rekindled this romance, they were both like, thank goodness we found each other again. Really? But who knows? I mean, in a week. It was quick. Right. She left A-Rod. She was with him. The one I'm always curious about is Jennifer Garner, right? She just seems like the best mom still raising her kids with Ben Affleck. And, and what did he come out and say on Howard Stern? If I stayed with her, I'd probably be dead right now or oh, something like that. that. Yeah, it was just awful. Uh, next, lesbian speed dating night shut down for transphobia after a limited event to adult human females. So you brought me into a very difficult story here. It's a London lesbian speed dating event. It got shut down. It's a weekly thing. It, it happens in Bloomsbury District of London and has become a target of woke activists after discovering that it prohibited biological males from attending the event. That is wrong. It is wrong, right? It's, it's. I mean, the um, the homosexual community has been saying that like, trans community has like hijacked their movement. It's just, it's a lesbian speed dating thing. They don't want to be with men. It doesn't matter how you identify. I mean, right? So they. I mean, I'm just thinking, gay men or just men want to go. They're saying trans women want to go. So you know, trans women want to go. Yes. Yeah, so right. You know. Men who identify as being a woman, but the lesbians who are there do not want the extra appendages. Caitlyn Jenner golfed with President Trump yesterday. He wore over the weekend. How did that go? Not sure. Next. What else do I want to say? 
I'm going to stay away from all those stories for now on. The Blindside family responds to Michael Orr's bombshell lawsuit. Evidently, Michael Orr, who was on our show last week, does not like Blindside. Sandra Bullock famously played his adopted mother because he said, I wasn't officially adopted. Because at 18, when they went to do the papers, they had to do it at a conservatorship because you can't adopt an 18-year-old. Uh, he even brought a biological male. But Michael Orr says he was duped and that he didn't get any money from the movie, didn't get any money from the book. And he feels like his family, adopted family, made money off him. Why didn't he say this to you last week? I don't know. In fact, I asked him, I don't know if it was on or off mic, how do you feel about the movie? He goes, well, you like got it. You have to like a movie that's about your life. The timing's so fishy. So weird. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.